I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. Tuesday again. Again, it came up and Mercury is in Gatorade and everything. And your hosts are back with another wild and crazy episode of Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting, the company we are all beholden to until the end of time, probably. I am the founder, CEO, and one of your co-hosts, Danielle. Flying in on a tornado from the Midwest, I am your creative captain and sergeant of strategy, Kaylee. <laughs> and coming to you from bougie South Dublin, Ireland, your host X with the most X, Alan. I like that. That was good. Great work, everybody, <laughs> this week. You know, I had to I had to laugh last night. I um I put something in my Instagram story. It was just like a like a super zoomed in selfie, and it just said I quit today because like t- yesterday was was dumb. It was just dumb. It wasn't terrible. It was just dumb. And I felt like I had to have conversations that I didn't want to have constantly. And I was just overwhelmed. And I just wrote, I quit today. And several people were like, your job? And I was like, no, no, I, I don't you think I can quit my that. job. Like, <laughs> I don't think I could actually, that's, that would be tough. It would be hard to do, you know, because somebody was like, you quit your whole company. And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> so funny. You put in your two weeks with us. We'd be like, yeah. <laughs> what do we do? Dale's no longer in Slack. Right. I like hand it to Alan. I'm like, thank you so much for the lessons that I have learned <laughs> in this position. And the education that it has given me will help me succeed in my future career. No notice. Fuck you guys. <laughs> We'd have fun for like a day and then we'd be like, oh no, nobody. Yeah, nobody. by lunchtime we would be like, oh nope. God. Nobody, nobody um, I feel dollars. like you guys, you would last minimum two weeks. And I know this because I've gone on vacation for two weeks before. So I feel like you would be like, we can do this. And then two weeks later, when I'm not there, maybe, I don't know. I feel like you guys would be all right. Yeah. We don't. Thanks for the confidence. Yeah, thank, I, thank hey, you. You know what? No, thank you. <laughs> so, yes. I was going to say, I'm really just priming you so that I can just quit. <laughs> 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 like, no, guys, I totally like you guys will be great. <laughs> uh, I left everything in drive. Uh, <laughs> so this week, we are going to get angry. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, <laughs> If you're listening or watching, I guess, on YouTube, you probably think at this point that that's, like, all we do. Just, like, angry (laughs) feminist bitches. I can assure you, though, it's not all we do. We also get sad, for instance. (laughs) Like, (laughs) today, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) And we experience overwhelm Mm. and also ennui. Uh, there's a whole host of emotions that we experience here at Broad Digital. Uh, but this week we actually want to talk about rage 
And the social media algorithm, as a matter of fact, I was uh, just saying before we started recording, when I titled this episode, it, it is Rage in Accordance with the Machine. Uh, and I was pretty proud of that. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, you know, that's what we'll talk about today. Oh, uh, taking credit. Uh, it's fine. Everyone, so you know, Danielle wrote the title I did. week. I did write the title of the episode. Um, it's fine. Uh, well, when neither one of you came in with depresso and espresso, like <laughs> in a good way, like, no, I'm not going to let that go. So like now I'm writing that title. Okay. <laughs> Eventually we will have a depresso and espresso day, <laughs> but uh, this week we're going to talk about rage and the social media algorithm. Uh, social media algorithms are really the black box that will likely never see the cold light of day uh, just because they've been established as proprietary information that could, you know, sink a whole ass business. I know that uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how the algorithm works, what it does, how it governs things. Uh, we're going to talk about another aspect of it today. You know, algorithms are the primary key to engagement on social media. They, helped, uh, they help attract and retain daily active users. They improve time spent on the platform, visits per day per user. Those metrics are all super important because in order for social media platforms to make money, they need both ads and funding. And to get funding and or advertisers, they need to be able to prove that they have a certain amount of daily active users who spend a certain amount of time on the site. Otherwise, large companies who want to advertise or venture capital firms, private equity firms that want to invest are not likely to invest if they don't feel like the platform can grow or like the platform is a good place for them to spend their money um, and, and reach people. So that's why, you know, different advertising um, platform decisions that get made, all of it is in service to attracting advertisers and, uh, and funding. So uh, these algorithms, they can't be static. It's not like a one and done situation. They're constantly changing to keep our interest. And one of the ways that they do this is by tapping into some of our basest human responses and cultivating them, which includes the rage bait. Ah. So we're going to talk a little bit about rage baiting today and how the algorithm keeps you angry. I know that like we're supposed to like talk about things that are going to be, I don't know, helpful for marketing and business. Uh, I think that in general, it's good to understand how to engage with the algorithms uh, in a way that is going to be best for your mental well-being as well. Um, and also it helps it helps advertisers, I think, understand how they want to engage with the platforms as well. So let's get into it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the history of the algorithm uh, long, long ago in a world before Gen Z was <laughs> in high school. There was uh, the chronology-based algorithm, or uh, really just how most of these social platforms started, where you engaged with, I don't know, like, I was one of the college users of Facebook, like, when they opened it up to EDU. Ow and Kaylee, uh, Kaylee, you were too young, so... No, I wasn't. I was in high school. <laughs> So you eventually got there. <laughs> wow. But you had an EDU email address. Yeah, I did. So I had a Because you went to like boarding school or some shit, some fancy ass shit. Yes. Go blue. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Alan, when did you get on? Yeah, I think my first year of college. That's yes. And I believe yeah. that was the first year that EDUs. I don't know what actually I'm, I was about to lie. I don't know when the first year was, oh, but it was sure, really yeah. brand new. And I thought it was sketchy that they needed my college email address. I was like, what is this <laughs> sketchy website <laughs> that I'm getting on? You sound like my parents filling out the FAFSA. They don't need to know how much I make. Why does the government need to know that? <laughs> Guys, you file taxes. Like, <laughs> I, I hope you're filing taxes. <laughs> they need to know, mom and dad. No, but uh, when they first started out, because I got mine, uh, when they opened up to EDU, it was uh, my second year of college. And I remember being like thoroughly unimpressed because <laughs> it was just like, Danielle is, and like I had a status option. And then, like, I don't know, I preferred Zanga, the alternative to Live Journal, oh. because I was loquacious. Wow. And what alt platforms? I used, I, truly. I used MySpace. I was like, you can't even put music on your profile. This is Yeah, that was MySpace Goyle. Yeah, I was like, why can't I put My Chemical Romance on my profile? No, I was We're actually- top eight. What? Where's my Where's top, my top eight? eight? Yeah, how are people going to know how much they matter to me? Um, how am I going to illustrate my mad HTML skills? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the animation in the background, there's like flames and like Sparkle. skull and crossbones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> so uh, Facebook was, and, and Twitter and everything that, that followed after that, they started with what's called a chronology-based algorithm. And uh, it's exactly what it sounds like, that the algorithm was spitting out uh, posts and, and, you know, before the newsfeed, I re- God, I remember when the newsfeed up, like there was a huge upheaval. It was like, what the fuck Everyone was is so mad. Garbage. And now I can't actually even remember what the interface was like prior to the newsfeed. I either. can't either. But I remember being like, what is this? And I remember everyone oh, I being it. so mad and oh yeah, like, but what was it before? And, I don't know. And we all, this was like well before I, w- I had even any interest in marketing. And I just remember like me and my, I don't know, little business brain. I was like, they'll never retain users with this kind of behavior. <laughs> like, you know, like people, well, we, they won't stay on the platform. They'll, this Facebook, it'll be sunk in the next year. Like, I don't know why I went transatlantic with that <laughs> accent all of a sudden, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they had this chronology-based platform or algorithm, and it served you just the content as your network posted it. And that meant you saw that, like, if I logged on at 3 p.m., I saw things that were being posted either right before I logged on, right after I logged on, in chronological order. So that is actually how the algorithm used to be many, many moons ago. Do you... Kaylee, I, oh, I was going to say, do you remember getting to the end of your timeline? Like that used to oh, exist. Yes. You would get the to the end and it would be like, you've seen it all. Like that. And you'd pull it down <laughs> and nothing would refresh. And you're like, I need, is this when I figured out I needed to go touch grass? I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. I know. Like, should I go read a book? That well, might seem sus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like would have to like I'd wait for like twenty minutes and then like pull it down again just to see oh, like God, the addiction that it was already it was already creating. Keely, I know you did some research on the history of the algorithm. What can you I tell did. us about it? 
Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for the Vegas prompt of history of the algorithm. So I had to learn <laughs> all of the things. In 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> we are going to focus mainly on social media algorithms because there are different ones for search engines, which I'll get to in a moment. But basically, Facebook started the first social media algorithm being really the first social network with a feed. Um, in 2006, it first launched the reverse chronological news feeds, which showed your followers and friends content, like Danielle said, from the newest. And then the oldest would be as you uh, scroll further down. And either in 2007 or 2009, I got two different answers on when this happened. But Facebook officially changed over to Edge Rank, uh, which was determined by content quality based off three things, which are affinity, aka how close in relation a user was to a content source, weight, so what kind of action is taken on that content, and three is decay, or how recent and current the content is. So if it was most recent, it received a lot of engagement within the first few seconds, and it was a source that you regularly look at, it would be at the top of your feed, and that's kind of how your newsfeed was determined. And one thing to note is Facebook actually got the algorithm from EdgeRank uh, based adapting it from Google's PageRank, which is the algorithm Larry Page developed for the Google search results. And that is huh. by counting the number, quality of links to a page, and determine a rough estimate of how important that website is based off the traction, essentially, and the back-end technology. So I like I'm looking at EdgeRank right now because I remember it. And mm -hmm. so because I remember it, it feels like oh, I guess they stopped using EdgeRank in like 2011 or something. Yeah. Um but sorry, we're not there yet. But like <laughs> I know that like I said, I feel like it was 09 because I graduated in 07 and I feel like that's when newsfeed maybe like entered the chat, but I don't think we started seeing edge rank stuff until later. So interesting though, that that, yeah. huh. okay. I think, sorry, what else? I want to say 092 because there's a potential, I probably didn't even see pre-newsfeed Facebook because I, I have no idea what that looked like. I only remember sure. newsfeeds. I remember messenger. I remember poking people and um, also the noise that Messenger used to make, which was like, that was oh it. That's how you knew a message came up because yeah. you would hear that. That that was eerily accurate. Yeah. I just like <laughs> like the the trauma response in my body just then that I was. Like, I can't even do God. it. Like, how'd you even do that? Oh, I used to piss people off. That's how I know how to do I, it. Oh my <laughs> they God. They were waiting like, for a message from someone. Wow. You know how like Holy. smell is like the the sense that you have that like triggers like the most visceral response in your body to memories like sound. I don't know where that ranks but holy shit that like <laughs> it's like do you guys ever I used to have um, anytime I got text messages the little bird sound on mm -hmm, your text mm -hmm. back when we all had like we actually had sound come out of our phones. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was, remember when we had ringback tones? Uh, but like, I mean, that, that bird sound, every so often I hear it and I am like instantly transported to like 2010 and it does not feel good. <laughs> so thank you for that. 
You're that welcome. panic response. That <laughs> Jesus. So the first iteration of Edge Rank retired in 2011, and that's when they started developing the more complex machine learning fueled newsfeed that meta platforms still use to this day. Um, so now, rather than taking in those three things that we talked about before, it takes into account hundreds of thousands of variables. Uh, for yes. what an individual user is going to see, which is most relevant content to them based on all of their on-platform actions, connections, and likes. I think this is one of the things that's most infuriating, and especially, oh my God, like back when, Alan, back when you and I were dabbling in the MLM world, um, you know, I would see shit all the time, like our quote unquote team that we had would, you know, joke with me all the time. Like I would see the marketing content that some of these big like MLM coaches would put out about like how to subvert the algorithm and like what changes were made to the algorithm and shit like this. And I would see it and go, you idiots, absolutely not. This is not true in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I would have to be the one that to tell my team, I was like the resident marketing expert going like, do not listen. This is what you do instead. Just follow my lead, like, and go from here. Because there are so many people that want to tell you the out, like, I feel like the common post is the algorithm changed. And now you need to do this one magic thing to make sure that all of your posts show up. And it's never been like that. Mm -hmm. There have always been multiple variables that dictate these kinds of things. And, and the, the concept of weights and how, like you mentioned the, the three things that it started with weight is still, I think used in some, some way, shape or form. I know that when reactions came out on Facebook, uh, that was the big question on everybody's mind in marketing at the time was like, well, shit, now are they going to weight content based on how people reacted? And they came out right away and said, we are not going to do that. Mm -hmm. If people use any reaction at all, whether it's like or sad or angry, we're going to weight it all the same. It will all be, be weighed identically. And then at some point in time, they switched over to weighting the reactions differently, which I think, you know, is, is going to be a lot of what we talk about today. But like, there are certain things like, do you all remember when it went all over news, all over our news feeds where people will be like, if you want somebody to see your post, make sure you type congratulations at the top. Yes. Do you all remember this? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so then everybody like you'd see like congratulations in all of these posts or these comments just to bump like so many people think they know how to like bump up the algorithm. Like there's one fail safe way to do it or like two or three. There are thousands of things that are taken into account mm -hmm. and adding congrats. Like if you think that we are at a place right now where AI can replace jobs, but you don't think that AI can scan your post to determine whether or not you actually are writing a congratulations situation, like reconsider, right. <laughs> reflect, reflect. <laughs> okay. Um, Interesting. There's also kind of an interesting alignment of when all the social media platforms changed. And I'm going to tell you about Instagram and Twitter and just let me know if there's a certain year that pops out to you when I talk about this. Because um, uh. both Instagram and Twitter started with their reverse chronological order um, algorithms and Instagram ended up moving the meta algorithm to the meta algorithm 
in March of 2016, uh, so that it was no longer it was being sorted by relevancy and no longer by when it was posted. Twitter, on the other hand, it began their highlights features in 2009, and that showed kind of your top trending news and things to that extent. Um, but it completely switched to a relevance algorithm in 2016, ranking users' timelines to allow them to see, quote unquote, the best tweets first, and has since been experimenting with variations up until, you know, Mr. Musk started the regular newsfeed versus your followers' newsfeed. Um, Instagram did that first, but still Twitter took it on. So I think it's super interesting. All of this, all the platforms changed over to relevancy right before a major election that was swayed by social media. Thoughts? <laughs> I'm putting on my tinfoil hat. <laughs> I love it. I, guys, I think hat. we just market the tinfoil hat at this point. I think we just, <laughs> we just sell, sell tinfoil a tinfoil hat. hat as merchandise. Yeah. It's not even like, but that's the thing. It's not even fucking tinfoil anymore, right? No, like, we know it happened. Like, we know there's right. aliens. It's just a hat. <laughs> it's just a hat. Right, right. All of our conspiracy theories are coming true, with the exception of QAnon. Okay, we don't go there. And like, mm-hmm. Flat Earth, like, please get the fuck out. But like, yes, there are fucking aliens. We know for a fact that this shit swayed the election. We know this for a fact. And we'll we'll get to, you know, why, like, this is, this is so interesting. I know that we're going to touch on those points later. But like, good God. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know correlation is not causation, but it's kind of causation right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you literally, you changed the entire structure of your social platform and then saw the impacts of that and then tried to be like, well, I mean, that wasn't us. We didn't do that. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Correlation, not causation. (laughs) Like, this is, and, and to me, it just goes back to, again, like, like what we've talked about in the past that marketers and and people inside of like marketing technology and, and, and social interaction and things like that, they all want to have a profound impact on the world, but none of them wants to take responsibility for when it is negative. Mm-hmm. That they are... want to take responsibility for the Arab Spring, but not for 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That goes really well, actually, into YouTube, who's the final social network I wanted to talk about the history of, because honestly, it is the most intense algorithm that's out there. And what a lot of the other social networks were basing their relevancy algorithm off of. So YouTube's algorithm is considered the largest scale and most sophisticated industrial recommendation system in existence across social networks. Quick question here. YouTube pre-Google or post-Google? I have both. Oh, okay. I have the timeline. <laughs> so prior to 2012, actually, when did Google buy YouTube? Yeah, I was like, we have to fact check ourselves. 2006. Okay. Whoa. Damn, for real? That was a long time ago. Yeah. That's, wow. How long has YouTube even been around? God, we're supposed to be experts on stuff. and like yeah. <laughs> That makes sense to me. Okay. Anyway, 
Prior to 2012, YouTube ranked its videos by view count specifically. So the more people who watched your video, the more it was presented to other prob to other viewers. The problem is that people learned how to play the game and the algorithm easily switched over to clickbait titles that you still see to this day. But the issue is users were watching a small portion of the video because they would click through on the title and then not be excited about what was on the other end. Honestly, this could be Rick Roll videos as well of people being like, new trailer to blah, blah, blah. And then it's, you know, Rick Rolled. Anyway, <laughs> um, in 2012, YouTube then changed its algorithm and it now started favoring duration of time. So the overall time watched and session time on the website. Uh, it didn't take long for gamers to just upload them playing a video game onto the networks, creating long, drawn-out videos that met the basic premise. And so in 2000, when everyone? 16. 16. Yes. Uh, YouTube added AI and machine learning into its algorithm. This dramatically changed the types of videos that it was serving people and has also been criticized for highlighting conspiracy theories and fake news, which brought on all the lawsuits Google is still facing to this day for its assistance in increasing views on terrorist propaganda. So in 2022, they made those changes to the algorithm to ban what they call quote unquote borderline uh, content. So that's the history, what it does, and it's super limited as to what we know because it's intellectual yeah. property for Google. But what we yeah. do know is that AI tracks viewers' perceived satisfaction to create an addictive, personalized stream of recommendations. Yep. So once you watch a video, Nat will give you that next up video for something that's similar. And if you go onto your screen on YouTube, it'll show recommended videos that are pretty similar to what you just watched, as well as super similar to things you watch in completion too. Uh, so yep. I know my algorithm at home here is a bunch of comedian podcasts because my boyfriend just watches those all the time. So that's sure. all we get recommended. Sure, sure. I, you know, I think that in general, I like I end up screwing up the algorithm so often for myself on social platforms just because of all the competitive research that we do and mm -hmm. all the client research that we do. Um, so, you know, I, I laugh because like I, it doesn't, no wonder none of these platforms can really pinpoint me anymore with the exception of TikTok, who just knows. TikTok <laughs> just knows. Mm -hmm. I also don't really do any like competitive research, you know, uh, on TikTok quite as much. But it is, it's interesting, especially like knowing what we know, as much as we know about how the algorithm works, it is still wild to me all of the different ways that the platforms are monitoring our engagement. Like, I, I know that you all have touched on this in a previous episode. No, Facebook's not listening to you have conversations mm -hmm. if you're having conversations outside of Messenger. They're not listening to you. They can't hear you. The, the reality is scarier, that you are freely giving them the ability to monitor your location data and all of your search data and all of these other things. They're not listening to you. It's, it's very easy to explain, like once you understand, especially proximity. Uh, I know that I've had people ask, like, how on earth could, when, when Facebook will be like, people you may know, 
or Instagram will tell you like, so-and-so is on Instagram and you might know them. And people are like, how the hell do you know that I know them? I just met that person because your phones were in proximity to one another. So that's, that's how it starts. Right. And like you have your location sharing turned on. So it knows these things because we give it the data. It doesn't have to try and extract data from our audio conversations. It doesn't have to extract data from listening to us. We freely give it all the data that it's using to make these decisions about us. And I know like at least the last time that I checked, like chronology-based algorithms are still available, but they intentionally make it really hard to find. Uh, It used to be years ago that Twitter, like if you were a Twitter power user, you knew how to go into your settings and make your default uh, feed setting the chronology based feed. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, I mean, I, I open Twitter so seldom now that the ownership has changed that like, I have no idea if that's even an option anymore. I know you can still do it on Facebook. I don't think you have the option on Instagram though, to change it to a a chronology based feed. I know you can on Facebook, but they bury the option. Mm -hmm. So Facebook just has that new, the similar feed we were, I was talking about before where you can follow like your friends or highlight people you want to be able to follow, but it's still relevancy based, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and understanding too, like you see these posts on Facebook all the time, like uh, they'll, they'll do the, you know, I only see content from 10 friends in my whole feed. And if you only see that too, then comment on this post and repost this by copying and pasting, which is a whole other thing that I will eventually get into in a future episode. But like, that's not like what you're doing theoretically is helping in the way that like the, the same people who always see your content will comment and then repost that thing or copy and paste it, but it's not actually doing anything. Mm -hmm. The way that you get more people to engage with your content is to be more interesting. That's like, this is for businesses to be more interesting and more people will engage. But in terms of you seeing other people, It's, it's, there are so many variables and, and to break that down, you know, if you engage with content at all, you will see that content more often. So if you engage with content from a specific user, if I always follow, like Owen is like right there, you both are right there on my, my stories. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that I follow that I never see their stories unless I like set my phone down and forget about it. Right. And then it'll like cycle through, but because I always engage with your content, your stories content, it consistently shows up. The algorithm is different though for my feed. I don't, if you guys post stuff on, on the feed because either you post very seldom or because I don't really interact with it, I'm not seeing it as often. I always see your stories. I rarely see your feed posts. And in the feed, there's going to be a different way that I'm served content. So it depends on what users you interact with. If you want somebody to show up in your feed more often, go seek them out and start engaging with their content. Uh, it depends on the content topic. Kaylee, you you have nailed it in the past. I think just last episode, 
talking about like if you're going to engage with gay stuff you're just gonna see more gay stuff right and if you don't want to see the gay stuff send it all to me and you (laughs) don't engage with any of it that's fine um but ultimately you get lumped into a group of like people who like to see content like this so there's lots of different ways that you can influence your feed but ultimately it's it's through engagement. And if you have those location settings enabled on your phone for any of your social apps, you're going to be served content that your network engages with, those who are in actual physical proximity to you. Because the assumption is that if I like you enough to spend time with you in the same room as me consistently, I'm likely to like some of the things that you like. And that's just one variable. So you might be like, well, that's not true because I spend time with my brother all the time and he likes shitty metal music and they never serve me content about shitty metal music. It's because there are a thousand other variables that are also going into this. It's not just physical proximity, but proximity has a specific weight to that. It's not perfect. It's also not the only variable. And this is where rage baiting sort of enters the chat. We talked a little bit earlier about reactions and how it used to be in the days of yore, you could only like uh, a post on Facebook, right? And with most of the other platforms, I think that's still really largely the only option. Then reactions got introduced and you could like or laugh or be sad or angry react. And they said initially that these were all going to be weighted the same. And now we know that they are not. Uh, We know this not necessarily because the platforms have told us, but because there are companies that conduct a lot of research and and do a lot of data mining that, that will measure, you know, hundreds of thousands of posts and their reach and determine what actually contributed to higher reach versus lower reach. This is how we know, for instance, that for many, many years, adding hashtags into a Facebook post on business from business pages mm-hmm. penalized you to the tune of 1%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you've got a lot of followers, that 1% is going to bite you in the ass real fast. So hashtags were a no-no. Uh, There are certain things that do penalize you. We know for a fact that if you don't post consistently, the algorithm penalizes you. This is, again, from a business perspective. But there are things that penalize you and things that boost you and things that don't necessarily do you any favors but don't necessarily hurt you either. There are lots of these variables. Now we know that they, they weight reactions differently. They weigh reactions differently. And we know that sad and angry and laughing all have different things that are there. It has long been thought, it is widely surmised that platforms, and now we know, of course, you know, post-2016, that platforms serve up content to users that will invoke some kind of negative response. Now, you might be like, I get it, but how is that helpful? If I feel bad... Why is that helpful for the platform? And we are here to ask a resident dopamine expert who has just been waiting for their time to get dopamine to jump in with their research. Alan, could you tell us about rage and dopamine? You are muted. Oh, awkward. 
Wow. Oh, embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. Like, do you even podcast, bro? Wow. I was going to say you were a bully earlier, <laughs> Kaylee, and I can't remember why, but now you're definitely a bully. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> you don't even remember why I was a bully. I, right. I said it but out loud. Sure. Yeah, no, I I was saying I really want a shirt that says like resident dopamine expert. That's so ADHD. Like so that. cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, rage and dopamine are really closely linked. So like dopamine is the feel good chemical uh, that hangs around after you flare up in rage and gives you that like post tirade glow you know what i mean like oh that's sure good. oh yeah oh yeah no i know it well <laughs> facebook comments <laughs> yeah and it can be my whole ass life like right. my my aries node my yes no my whole ass life is built it's just one long rant yeah yeah that's all to sustain dopamine i know like, i have that aries moon too which is such an angry placement like it's like mad in there <laughs> anyway um this can quickly become addictive which is interesting like you said because it's like why no one would say rage feels good um but the literature seems to suggest that it's the aggression that comes after the rage or because of the rage that really tickles our fancy that like really gets we're like mm, mm, I did something about it you know like we got <laughs> we get in rage we leave dirty nasty comments and now it feels so good to be so righteous um and like You'll find a lot when you Google search like rage about serotonin and it being like you don't have enough serotonin, which I, I can get like if you're espresso depresso, like you, <laughs> you are. Some little... of us don't have it naturally. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> you're, you're a Store little sad. <laughs> He's angry. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you, you're a little sad, but actually I saw like a really recent 2023 study that was like, hey, that link is not that well documented. It, it's actually a like a dopamine transporter that um, plays a huge role in in antisocial behavior and aggression overall. And they also said that dopamine tends to provide a temporary special soothing spot for folks that display traits of narcissism, particularly with like the whole fragile ego bit. Like fragile ego feels rage, does something about it, dopamine, pl like prolific. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I say that, I bring that up because we think a lot about who has the audacity to just like go through and comment rage things on gay people's happy joy stuff. And like, yeah. if you think about it, like if someone's addicted to dopamine because it soothes their little fragile ego bits, like that's going to quickly become an escalating negative situation. Well, uh, I've never felt more attacked by you in my whole life. Whoa. Um, so do you legitimately like, do you want like, I do think that some of this, this, right? No, we're going to, this is going to be a fucking <laughs> therapy session. Now, resident dopamine expert, look at what you got yourself fucking into. No, like thinking about it though. I mean, it used to be like, I think that people would call me an argumentative person. And I would dispute it. Uh, Why? <laughs> like, 
I would argue against it because, because I, I don't know that it's that I'm argumentative and I don't think it's that I have to be right. I just don't like misinformation or half-baked things that are being passed off as fully baked. I think it's actually more that I have this weird commitment to principles that I have no idea where it came from or why. If it's just like my Midwestern South, I don't know. But when I see these things like on Facebook, I go, that's not true. Like somebody will say something like ridiculous, right? Like, uh, oh, here's a great one that is is quite recent. How many that so many people who transition regret their transition later. It's not true. It's it's demonstrably inaccurate. It is false. And I have a hard time scrolling by and not engaging with that and being not being like, um, incorrect. And here's all the data that says otherwise. I am committed to the data. But I noticed like after years of this, it was like, God, this is eating up so much of my life and the aggression that, that or the dopamine that comes with the rage that feels good, I am also somebody that like, I have to check my anger so that it doesn't go unchecked because nobody deserves Danielle at a 10. They just don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I check myself. Really, probably people don't deserve Danielle at an eight, but a lot of people get it. <laughs> um, <a> lot- <laughs> and... I also like after that like nice dopamine fix, I have this immediate reaction where shame washes over me. Does anybody else feel that? Like, yeah. like oh. Oh, I mean, I think Ugh. there's so much tied in. Well, first I want to clarify, and I don't think everyone who gets angry at something or likes to argue on the internet is a narcissist. I think it's like a separate conversation where like there's a Venn diagram, right? Like I wasn't saying that, but second of all, I I think there, I I think too, when I had this section, I was like, Ooh, this is not to make this a therapy session, but anger and rage is something I'm learning to actually express because I have like shoved it down. And I think there's a lot of shame, especially for AFABs, femmes, like women, people who historically, um, aren't quote unquote allowed to be angry without some sort of um, backlash, you know, like I think that's an important conversation to have too, you know? Yeah. No, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that because like you, I had to learn how to let myself feel it. And this is also, and I also realized as I was learning how to let myself feel it, that if I left it unchecked, it could get, it could, it could cross over into the destructive, like it was destructive to not feel it. There's this nice little bell curve at the top where like, this is the perfect amount of anger expression. (laughs) And then it like quickly tumbles. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I think that the internet felt like a safe place to be able to do that because you can walk away at any time. Right. But we've seen how it also escalates people really quickly. And when you think about the fact that like quarantine for an entire fucking year where that's all people were doing, the idea is theoretically you can log off and walk away and touch grass. 
But also, is that what our brains actually tell us to do? Or do we keep going back and engaging? And I started to see throughout quarantine and and shortly thereafter in 2021, like I was taking really frequent breaks because I was like, I'm getting so riled up. And and a lot of that too, especially during the the height of the pandemic, was was fear, was anxiety, Mm -hmm. was was overwhelm and and just general anxiety and malaise around the fact that like if we leave our house we could die you know there was real genuine fear around that um and so i would get enraged at people who seemed to not be saddled with that fear and also seemed to not consider other people uh and and other people's fear um and how it could really actually impact people a million over a million people died you know just in the u.s alone so when we we take a look at like like when i reflect on how i've interacted with social media i it is very much a dopamine hit to have that rage bait and i've had to pull myself back from it and say i'm not doing this anymore i think i've mentioned on the pod before that now i can tell when i'm when I'm in it and I'm like, I just need a fucking fight. I need to fight somebody, I, but I, I don't want to fight anybody that I know. And like, cause I won't be able to walk away from it. I have to fight about something I don't care about because I, the dopamine helps. So I go to Reddit. Yes. And I find the Vanderpump rules or love is blind subreddits. And I argue about reality television I love that. and then I walk away and I'm fine. I don't come back to it because I don't care enough and I'm able to not care. But if we're going to start talking about like, like engaging with anti-trans sentiment, of course I'm going to care. I'm going to care because I'm fighting for people I love and I'm fighting against something very real that negatively impacts them. But when I'm fighting somebody about whether or not fucking, uh, what, why can't I think of his fucking name? Fucking Scandival is a piece of shit. Um, Sandoval? Yeah, Scandival. <laughs> uh, whether he's a piece of shit, like, I don't care. Ultimately, he is a piece of shit. I know that I'm right. And I can walk away from it, right? Like, that's fine. Uh, I, can, I can argue about how Rachel absolutely knew what she was doing, and I have no sympathy for her. We can argue about that, and then I can walk away, because those people... I'm not impacted by their lives, right? Which is probably another fucked up conversation about consumption of like actual human lives and like how we interact with it. But I don't know. All that to say that like, I feel that and I get that. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize that like, because I have a hard time reining myself in on topics that really do feel important to me because they affect people that I love or they affect me, uh, I I don't do a good job separating myself or being able to pull myself out of that. It becomes a constant go back. Oh, yeah. And you're not alone in that. I mean, it's literally, I mean, I would argue it's literally why they started weighing some things more, angry reacts more, evoking a strong emotion because you're not the only one. All of us have... Some sort of defense mechanism in order to survive that wants to protect and defend the things we care about and love, you know. And also, if we're ADHD, we also are wired to like want that dopamine real bad. 
We want it real and not be able to control like the impulsive behaviors, Mm -hmm. the lack of executive function to be able to walk away from it. Or like, like, I mean, especially people with ADHD, I know like I've been that person that like sits in my car. Like all I have to do is get up and go into the house, Mm -hmm. but instead I sit in my car and I just scroll social media Mm -hmm. and I'm like 30 minutes later, I'm like, why am I still in my car? I just have to get up. Like the executive function is just like not functioning. Mm -hmm. Why are you laughing about that? That's painful. That's no, terrible. I'm like, oh, she's sitting in her car scroll. I just sit in my car. I like, I'm like a computer resetting. I'll just sit in there. Kaylee doesn't have ADHD, everyone. Sure. Yeah. No, Kaylee doesn't. No. Kaylee is neurotypical. Super I... neurotypical. It's very normal behavior to just sit in your car. And reset like a computer. It's probably so wrong for us to diagnose poor Kaylee in public. It is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What I wanted to are you're perfect. Thank you. It's depressed. Um, I was thinking about how this kind of all ties into I talk about this movie way too much for having only seen it one time, but the great hack talking about the Mm -hmm. 2016 election and Facebook. What was super interesting is that it was never the content that they pushed out for people to were focused on people who were on the fence about certain topics. And they would only put out content where you were getting and it was evoking that negative emotion. So rather than doing pro Trump content and how great Trump would be as a president, it's Hillary's going to do this, which will negatively impact that. And people will be commenting and sharing, being like, look what she's planning to do, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what fed. And I mean, to this day, anytime there's elections, you get an increase of obviously content around it. But I remember I had a uh, cousin from Florida, so you can figure out who he voted for. But they were post. He was posting about like I don't see anything that's pro Biden. So how did he become president? And yep. I literally just yep. responded because that's how Facebook works. You're not going to see right. Biden stuff. So- <laughs> right. To be fair, like I have to make a conscious effort on my Instagram stories. I'm like, you know what? I've posted a lot of shit bitching this week, and I need to share some queer joy. I need to share these beautiful flowers, sure. like because. I get really caught in the like, here's everything that's wrong with the world. Here's what went wrong this week. Let's fix it Mm -hmm. type thing, you know? Right. I think, you know, I'm surprised that that Tyler and I have been together for, you know, coming up on six years and he'd never heard me ever until last night when I sat down my computer and I said, you know what? Everybody dies. And he's like, um, okay. And I'm like, no, this is how I make myself feel better when I get really overwhelmed by all of the negativity is I go, everybody dies. And in a hundred years, nobody's ever even going to fucking remember me. Like, because history forgets 99.9% of us. And this is just not worth me getting so invested in mm-hmm. that it consumes everything. I need to distance myself from like the negative energy because it is real and it's it's hard to break away from. And I mean, I say this is is people that we literally started a podcast 
wanting to talk about. And this is why we keep trying to bring it back to like, what's the right thing to do? What are the action items here? Because I don't want it to be just like us bitching about, yeah. you know, the the negative reality of things. Um, there is a, a better way to go about things. And I think that, you know, uh, this is this is something that I believe. And I used to not feel this way, but as time goes on, I really believe that we're going to see maybe not just like Big Tobacco, where the lawsuits came decades later that they absolutely knew what they were doing, but I think it will be similar. Mm -hmm. I think that we will find that the argument that these founders have for enabling or ignoring, turning a blind eye to harassment and discrimination and uh, the negative impacts, how it, how election tampering and the negative impacts on our brains. I think that the, the justification is, well, they should be strong enough to log off. But I think I tinfoil hat time. I truly believe that there's no way that they don't have brain research mm -hmm. that suggests that they know otherwise. They know that we're not going to log off. They know that this keeps us engaged. It's the reason they switched over. It's the reason they keep using it. And honestly, they're not even hiding it anymore. I think I told you all about, um, we have a client that is a uh, an internet service provider for rural areas, and we manage their social media platforms. And one day I logged on to their Twitter account and I was logged in to my Twitter account first before I switched over. And I saw on the trending site, I always check to see who died um, or like what else is in the news, right? That's always on the trending side. And I had been noticing that since Elon Musk took over, that there was an influx on my trending notifications on my account, a very progressive and also queer and also like anti-capitalist human. I was noticing a lot of trending topics that were really transphobic, that were really like conservative in a way that I was just not quite understanding at all. Um, and and I, I just assumed it was because he fucked with the algorithm somehow. But then I moved over to this other account, this internet service provider in a rural area that has a lot of conservative followers. It's a business account, so it doesn't engage with any of this content. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways that the algorithm determines what content to feed you is by who your followers are. And because all of their, their followers are going to be people in rural areas who are largely conservative and hold, you know, largely similar viewpoints, it assumes that this client's account is, is of that uh, mind as well. And when I switched over, I looked at the trending topics and they were all gun control topics. They were all topics that talked about when I clicked on it, cause I was like, wait a minute, I clicked on it. And it was all the trending side on this rural ISP's account was all arguments in favor of gun control. I've noticed this. And then when I switched over back to mine, liberal, progressive, anti-capitalist, they were all queer, all transphobia. And I think I shared it with you, you all because I was like, holy shit, they're not even hiding it. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't even like, oh no, we didn't have to test this. I just had to to toggle between the two accounts to see that they are literally baiting us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed that with uh, 
the same account's Twitter page where Ron DeSantis was trending. And so I went like, oh, what do you do this time? And like click through to see what happened. And it was all anti-DeSantis, which doesn't make sense for that profile. Right. Doesn't make sense for that profile, but it does make sense if that profile is conservative and you want to rage bait that Mm -hmm. profile with content that is going to incite them to say something. And I have fallen for it one too many times with all of the trans folk bullshit that I get served where I will like go in and like bitch at somebody for a minute and then I'll log out like that. They it's literally they are not even hiding it anymore. They are intentionally putting content in front of us that they know is likely to infuriate us because we will engage with it. And if we engage with it, it will keep serving us more of that content. They are doing it because they know that rage keeps people on these platforms. And the way that they get more ad dollars is by more users being on there more often, engaging with content, because you can't serve up an ad to somebody if they're not scrolling on the platform. Mm -hmm. Do we think that this is an open-ended question, so there doesn't need to be an answer, but is this because AI is involved, so there's not emotional factors, and it's just spitting out what what it thinks you'll engage with? Or do we do we think that there are people in play looking at this and being like, well, it's working? I think it's a combination of both. I think mm-hmm. that um, we already know that AI can gauge sentiment. Uh, there, are, there are tools out there that exist. I remember when I was at Microsoft, we were using uh, Sprinkler, I think. And there are sentiment monitoring tools so that you can essentially figure out if somebody's talking shit about your brand or how anybody, how the general public feels about your brand at any given point in time. So you can start to address problems as they arise. So we know that AI can track sentiment. We also know that humans are in charge of the algorithm. And we also know that the human's predominantly who are in charge of the algorithm and are in charge of the changes that are made belong to one demographic, maybe two, but neither of those demographics really experience the same level of harassment, discrimination, and um, uh, hate speech as the rest of us do. And so I think that it is, it is a combination personally. I think that, um, that AI doesn't necessarily help matters, but AI can only do what we ask it to. And so that's, it's also the problem with, like we've talked about this before years ago when there was a, I believe it was a black engineer at Google who noticed that uh, when you searched for gorilla or something, it would return photos of, of black families and it's because they blamed it on the AI, but ultimately you can't, machines don't learn on their own. They learn what we feed them as humans. And so if you only have people of the predominantly non-marginalized demographic who are in charge of teaching the machines anything, and we know that there has been an exodus of women, especially away from AI, because they keep getting shouted down when they share the concerns of their personal experiences with AI. So they keep leaving and it keeps getting whiter and more male and more hetero and more cis, like over and over and over again, because the people who are supposed to be 
able to share their experiences and shape things are not able to. They get shouted down. I've heard that about VR development too, where people born female have been more likely to get like motion sickness using VR and nothing has been addressed regarding that and like sales hasn't been able to really change. But again, it would make sense because developers of that technology might not have any women to be like, this could be why or hey, this is a big enough problem to deal with. I mean, they literally just started testing period products with blood instead of water. Literally, the first research of its kind was released this year, testing period products for the first time with blood. And what they found was that the products that are are given to us are not as absorbent as they claim to be. Well, no fucking shit if you've never... Like, I was blown away by this, Mm -hmm. by the amount of testing even of products specifically used for people by people with uteruses that you're not even we it's not taken into consideration like i'm i'm at a loss for words with it so yeah i think that in general the people making these decisions we know that the people in charge of all these platforms are men elon put a woman she not doing shit yeah she's not making any major announcements about the platform they all come from him i would be so infuriated to be linda (laughs) if i was ceo like i would be i would be so mad if i were linda i'd be so rich oh that's fair (laughs) she's a fucking stooge yeah like she's and she's gonna play where she gets the most rich mm-hmm. like i mean and yeah she she doesn't do any of the announcing she does the justifying afterward mm-hmm. she does all the the press junkets justifying all of the actions yeah. but i i know we do need to move on i i think that in general a lot of this could be solved or at least the negative impact of this whole problem with rage baiting could be seriously reduced by reverting back to a chronological algorithm. And there are a lot of people that are making noise about that now saying, look, if we moved back away from this relevance-based feed back toward chronology, and we had a modicum of control over what this looks like, we would not necessarily get sucked into the point that we are. We would not see the negative impacts the same way that we do. We would be able to use social media platforms in the same way that the ways that we wanted to, to connect with our friends and our family, to organize, to share news. We would be able to do all of those things and we wouldn't necessarily be feeding the division in our world, uh, if we just stepped away from this, you know, you would see what your network posted when they posted it, we'd go back to, you know, backwards in terms of the algorithms and what what has happened in the past. Um, there are downsides. And the downsides are the reason that the the platforms will likely never do this unless they're forced. The downside is that we all have social media friends who are about as interesting as lead paint drying, right? Like, <laughs> do I care? that Benjamin was up all night researching the perfect way to make and plate an omelet. And that's a true fucking story. Like, no, I don't, I don't, (laughs) I do not give a shit because I can't eat the omelet. It looks like a fucking omelet. 
it's not also, that it probably interesting. Gross, unless you're a food stylist, right? Exactly, exactly. There's like two food stylists that I follow that are like, "Wow, those are beautiful food pictures that I can never replicate on my own." Like Benjamin, yeah. nobody gives a shit about your omelet. Do I care that Emily or Anna or whoever checked in at their workplace or Olive Garden or the gym for the fifth time, you know, in that week with like getting swole as a caption? Like, no, I don't. And this is why the chronology-based algorithm is no longer attractive to platforms because when we passively consume social media without intention, we get bored because people by nature, we're pretty fucking boring and no one has ever needed the 24 seven window into our lives. It pushes us to seem less boring because other people make themselves seem less boring when really they're just as fucking boring as we are. It's just that they put more effort into appearing not boring. Like <laughs> I looked at all of my, I, I always do a recap at the end of the year with all of my photos that I took. And I'm like, man, I was in my house a lot last year. Like, am I wasting my life away? Like, am I super boring? No, because fucking everybody's boring. Everybody's boring. And that's why they won't go back to it because when we're bored, we don't get the dopamine we're looking for. And we put the app down to like touch grass and read a book. And is that why threads probably didn't work out? I'm saying that as if it's dead. Right. right, Yeah, exactly. I mean, (laughs) maybe like, yeah, if, if you're not serving up content that is going to keep you around and now is the toothpaste so far out of the tube, have our brains changed that we like, like we just don't care. Like we would put the platforms down. Are we at this point where they can't go back because the platforms would cease to exist? Our brains are too far in the wrong direction. You know, the upside is that like we don't incite civil war, uh, right? But this is like uh-huh. a classic case of capitalism versus our best interest. People are profiting off of our negative emotions and it's harming all of us. It's well Mm -hmm. established that social media consumption, passive social media consumption, meaning without limits, meaning like, like active social media consumption is I'm going to look on Facebook for 20 minutes today, or I'm looking on Facebook for something specific that is active consumption. Active consumption actually has a positive impact on our brains. The problem is that we engage too much in passive social media consumption, which means there are zero limits to how much we're scrolling. It's the doom scrolling. And we don't, we aren't there to consume anything specifically. We're just there to consume and we're consuming too much. And it's having a profoundly negative impact on, on who we are. Um, Just like it did for a whole year during quarantine, we didn't really have anything else to do. Did y'all get the videos on TikTok and I've started seeing them on Reels too, where they're like, whoa, you've been scrolling for a long time. Yeah, the that's the new, yeah, stop scrolling, take a minute to breathe. Like, no, yeah, y'all. I'm always like, no. You. Right. <laughs> this is, no, you can't push us to this brink. And then pretend like something like that is going to bring us back. But they do it because it's the, it's the least possible effort and they can say that they're doing something. And it's our fault. It becomes our fault, even though they've trained our behavior and our brains 
to behave in a certain way. And people, they will point to people who don't have social media or who do consume it, you know, responsibly and actively. And they'll go, but what about them? You have the same choices that they do. Well, I mean, one, you know, my brain doesn't work the same as everybody else's. And two, you literally know that this is working. And you know Mm -hmm. that there is a dependence on it now. You know that you fed this addiction. So the least amount of effort is not helping. In terms of of action items and, and, you know, what our listeners can do, obviously this has been sort of a depressing, angry episode. Um, But there are a couple of things that I know I I have thought of, um, and please feel free to add others, Owen Kaylee. Um, One, don't engage with negative content. It's really hard to do. It's it's hard to maintain consciousness around how we consume. And I have had to, I have had things typed out and then went, I don't have time for this today. Mm-hmm. And then just scroll on past it. And I have to do this like physical reckoning with myself where I'm like, but, but he remains wrong. Who will tell him that he's wrong? And like, <laughs> just... We just have to let him be wrong because we all die. Uh, So don't engage with negative content. It's how they're keeping you there. It's how they get you. Limit your time on social media. Try as much as possible to be an active consumer. And I say this as somebody who absolutely needs to practice this because I will scroll Instagram and then go, I don't want to do this anymore. Set it down and less than a minute later, we'll pick my phone back up and it's just habit. And I open it back up and I'm like, I literally closed this. I closed this because I didn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. What is my problem? I can't be alone in that. Please tell me I'm not alone in that. No, I was going to say something that has really helped me is like I turned off notifications for all social yep. media apps Same. like years and years ago, Same. and that really helped. Um, so, yeah, so you're not just getting reminders all the time. Also, if you hide your app, somewhere in like a little folder that's far away from where it usually is. And you can open it up and just, you'll actually hit the wrong app after you do that a couple times and open it up out of fucking habit. And it just like your brain goes, Oh, right. I put it somewhere else because I didn't want to do this. You know? I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I am a read. I like reading comments. I'm on Nextdoor all the time just to see what people are saying. I'm not an engager, but if it's bothering you to that extent, you'd have to just put down the phone. And then if something makes you super angry that you're reading online, do your own research and see if it's true because likely yeah. it might not be. There's unfollow so much shit that doesn't make you feel good. Yes, unfollow yeah. profiles that do not spark joy. And block. Kondo. And block. Mm-hmm. Block. I know block that is so fun. Elon is is threatening to get rid of it, even though it actually can't be an app in the Google app or the Microsoft store. Um, if you don't have a block feature on your platform, it's a requirement for apps that they have a block feature available. Yeah. But like, I have a hard time with that. I don't block because I go like, no, then they will have won. And like, you just like, again, everybody dies. Who cares if they won? Like it really just block. Uh, And, and yeah, unfollow. I always look at it as like, again, like what works for me is going to Reddit and fighting with somebody there about something that doesn't matter. And then I, I get my dopamine and I move on, (laughs) but also like setting yourself, you know, uh, 
times of day that you're going to be on social media or times that I want, I know you do like no phone time or you were, maybe you're not anymore. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't remember this, but I'm not doing it anymore if I was. But. Uh, it was back when you were in Portland. You were like, sorry, I'm trying to do like some no phone time each day. And so I might oh, be late yeah. to respond. So it was probably that or else you just didn't want to talk to me. So which wow. is also feasible. Um, but remember how you train your algorithm and how your algorithm in turn trains your brain. For those of you who have not listened to our episode called The Currency of Attention, I really recommend going back. It's like back in like March, I think. If you go back, it's called The Currency of Attention. Uh, We had this interview with my dear friend Amir, who is a specialist in uh, search marketing and search engines. Um, And that will tell you a lot about how you can't even really trust search algorithms in terms of what they're feeding you. Uh, It all comes back to how you actually train the algorithm in order for it to train you. So just like we teach people how to treat us, we teach platforms how to treat us too. And Mm. then we lose control over how they treat us if we let it go unfettered for a really long time. So any other action items? Boundaries. Boundaries. Alan, Kaylee, anything else? No. Oh, uh, Facebook, if you use it to connect with family members or there will be reckonings because you are not engaging with the family member i recommend the 30 day snooze button love the snooze or the mute the mute's so good mute i just leave it i have other things to do yeah no uh mute snooze i have used those uh recklessly (laughs) embracing recklessness and remember uh for those of you who are letter candy fans uh bad gas travels fast in a small town uh it means that misinformation is going to make the rounds faster and in greater volume than accurate information or good news really so Uh, Keep that in mind as you engage with platforms. Uh, This has been another episode of Target Snarket, a weekly podcast by Broad Digital Consulting. We hope that we didn't enrage you too much or make you too sad. Uh, I hope that the the dopamine uh, that you got from this episode was worthwhile. And we are excited to bring you another episode next week. Uh, Don't forget to like and subscribe. We will always give you action items and always give you ways to improve your interaction with the internet as well as how to improve marketing business and the internet itself. Uh, So we will always end on those good news opportunities for you. So uh, really, I'm just trying to say we're not rage baiting you. Uh, Make sure, like I said, like and subscribe and follow us uh, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. And I always forget because we're only technically on Facebook through Broad Digital. Uh, We will see you next week. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital, that's B-R-O-A-D dot digital, 
or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 